It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rule book, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Barry Ross, and this is The Big Rethink. The workforce, a topic we so often hear about. From how Gen Z is shaking things up, to the latest leadership strategy on embracing flexibility. It's a topic many of us think about often. In this episode, we revisit conversations with experts who offer their insights into ways we can be better at work. To start, we'll begin with a discussion between my fellow host, Brian Rowley, and Dr. Ruth Godian, author of The Success Factor, and Chief Learning Officer and Assistant Professor of Education in Anesthesiology at Weill Cornell Medicine. The doctor explains why paying attention to your employees and fostering a supportive culture matters. So let's talk about success for a minute because, you know, there's obviously this shift in how we work today. And, and, you know, it has to have an impact on how success is perceived um, and achieved, right, in the workplace, both from employee perspective as well as from the company's perspective. So from, from your experience... How has that definition of workplace, we'll take it to workplace for a second, success sort of evolved? Well, I I think what's happening is that the high achievers are no longer becoming a silent portion of the workforce. There's actually a lot of research that shows that these high achievers are 400% more productive than the average employee. Now, what happens in most organizations? You get your annual performance appraisal. Let's say it's on a scale of one to five. Five means you are outstanding. Three means you're average, right, which is um, meeting all requirements. Now, what happens if you're three or, or above? Everyone leaves you alone. You do your thing. What happens when you're below average? Any organization in the world, you get a corrective action plan. They send you to courses and workshops to improve your skills. There's a supervisor that checks in to make sure you're meeting milestones. Look at all the attention the low achievers are getting. What's happening to those who are producing 400% more? Mm. They're seeing. They're seeing what's happening. And what's happening is that if we don't start paying attention to them, they're going to start leaving the organization. And then at best... The organization is going to be left with average employees at worst, the low achievers. And the organizations want to keep those high performers. Not only are they producing 400% more, Brian, who do you think their friends are? Right. Other high achievers. Sure. So you want to really, as an organization, start giving them the attention. And, And the high achievers know that with the right resources and the right environment and the right culture they could produce almost anything. It has to be the right environment. So it's changing. This is the time. Her take is so true. Great employees can only flourish in positive environments. In the same episode, the doctor explains the importance of an employee's passion for what they're doing in order to unlock their full potential. We have what I call the frozen middle. The frozen middle are high potentials. Mm -hmm. These are on the scale of one to five, the three and above. These are the average people. They can do the work, 
right? Imagine mm. if they were inspired. Yeah. Imagine if they were motivated what they could achieve because they're achieving average work without much stimulation. So we have this frozen middle that we need to thaw out. And if we were going to build the workforce, we need to start looking at them. So we have the high potentials and we have the high achievers. And can you imagine what our workforce would be like? Imagine the creativity that would come out. Imagine the innovation that could come out if we could just light a spark, find their passion, find their creativity, and surround them with other people like that. Those high potentials will also turn into high achievers. Let's pivot to international keynote speaker and body language expert, Dr. Carol Kinsey-Goman, who spoke with my co-host, Susan Campbell, to explain how body language at work impacts our perceived credibility and presence. When you agree with what you're saying, a lot of things happen. Your gestures start a little bit before you speak. There, there are just a lot of cues like that that I look for because I know what I'm looking for. There is a congruence in the way you stand and you hold your shoulders and that your gestures tend to be much more open. You tend to show your palms more. You don't cross your arms. Now, there's nothing wrong with crossed <laughs> arms, but it is the antithesis of the message we're all in this together. Right, right. Closed <laughs> off body language, the old... Uh... The classic crossed arms pose. (laughs) And that's one of the funny parts about body language as well is there is no good or bad body language. There's nothing wrong with crossed arms. A lot of us do that when we're cold. A lot of us do that if we don't have arms on the chairs we're sitting in. A lot of us do that when we're thinking. It's kind of a way to pull in and rally your thoughts. But when you do that and it's contrary to the message you're delivering. So that's what you're always looking for in body language. Does does this body language signal align with the verbal message or is it sending the opposite meaning? So there is nothing necessarily that person needed to do except believe what he was saying. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's not more of a, I have to remember to open my hands or stand this way or that. It's, I have to believe what I'm saying and my gestures will follow suit kind of a perspective. Am I understanding that correctly? That's a big part of it. The other part of it is that you, something that you mentioned, and that is if you have a habit, let's say you cross your arms all the time because that's the way you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. You need to know that that habit may not be sending the message that you intend. You may slump because you've always had bad posture. (laughs) And you haven't been a ballerina or you haven't been in the military where you have learned the habit of bringing your shoulders back and holding your head high. But you need to realize that that habit is one that is not serving you as a leader. Slumping makes you look uninterested. It makes you look like you have low energy. And by the way, one of those wonderful 
things about us as human beings is there is a feedback system between our body and our attitude so that you know if you've had a crummy day, you tend to compress and round your shoulders and cave your chest in and maybe even have your head down. But did you also know that when you put your body in that posture, you tend to have more negative thoughts? That's so fascinating and a great reminder for us all to check our posture. But what about in remote and hybrid circumstances? Here Dr. Goleman explains the little changes we can make to take a leadership presence on virtual calls. And you know, one of the things that really, first of all, that helps us think is to talk with our hands. That's why we use our hands even if we're talking on the telephone. But it helps people understand. If I say I have two things to tell you and I've raised two fingers, in this medium where we are dying for social cues and body mm-hmm. language cues we've had for thousands and thousands of years, just that little signal makes me so much more understandable. So, first of all, if you if you drop your camera a little so people can see your gestures and you keep those gestures within the frame of the camera on stage or at a meeting, wide gestures can say, can be expansive and can be very confident looking, you know, I'm taking up room, I'm owning this. You do that on a Zoom call and your hands fly out of frame and it's just either annoying or confusing. Right. You do need to gesture differently, but gestures are very important. Finally, another episode hosted by Brian, where he sat down with author, leadership coach, and diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate, Cheryl Harris. Here, Brian and Cheryl dive into the complexities of implementing a DEI program and how it impacts leaders and the workforce. DEI is not something that is, you know, just a, a, a textbook approach. There's many different thoughts and feelings and emotions that all roll into that. But I, I think having a fear of it, and, and you've experienced this firsthand, isn't a reason to stop. It's actually, my opinion, the reason to continue. Um, and, and I know that, you know, that that's an important element and I, and I know that's a big focus for you. So I, I love that that's kind of where you're, where you're at and what led you to, to get to this point. Yeah, it's so true, Brian. I'm so glad you're doing this work because it is true that we fear what we don't know. And then the thing with diversity, equity, inclusion, which is hard, is that we have to learn in public and Adults don't want to do that, right? We want to say, 
I know what I'm doing. I look poised and I look like I have my act together. But with diversity, we don't often have our acts together. We don't know enough about the topic and racial differences to feel confident. So that lack of confidence uh, added to learning in public just fuels more of the fear of being embarrassed or not being seen as knowledgeable. And then people pull away from it. So what I try to do in the book is to um, make it clear what some of the barriers are to having dialogue and how to combat those barriers or how to overcome them. So, for example, in um, this learning in public, there has to be this awareness, personal awareness of what our own values are, our beliefs, and what it is that we want to achieve. If we're clear about our values and our beliefs, that can help us to overcome the resistance to tackling something that we don't know that much about. So if I believe that we all have a right to be here, if I believe that everyone should have an opportunity to do their best and to make contributions, then that can override my fear or my fight or flight syndrome to you know run away because I'm more committed to this value and this belief. And if I know that that I have hot buttons, if I'm aware of what those are, or triggers that cause me to feel guilty or ashamed or angry, then I can develop some emotional intelligence to address that so that I don't run away and can mature in the conversation. So these are some of the um, issues that I think we have to confront and stay in it. And recognize that diversity is no different than any other business proposition we handle in the business world. So we learn about it. We make some mistakes. We learn from those mistakes. We make adjustments and we keep going, but we don't stop. So is it the same, Cheryl? So, I mean, I know you spend a ton of time counseling business leaders, right? Um, and, and you know, you also spend a lot of time with community involvement, specifically in House of Worship. Is the process uh, to sort of a successful DEI model the same in both of those environments or, or does it actually differ? Yeah, that's such a great question. What's the same and what's different? So in the workplace, Thankfully, the workplace has changed to some degree, right? Uh, In the past, the workplace said, um, just bring your title or your role to the job and leave the rest of you out. Don't come in holistically. But the workplace has changed. And now they say, bring your whole self. And there's a recognition of what we call intersectionality, which is um, one can be a race, a gender, sexual orientation. um, All of that makes up the combination, the culmination of a whole person. And that whole person operates in the world, has experiences in the world that come into the workplace. So there's a recognition more about this whole person as opposed to just the CEO or just the director or just the VP. So in that sense, it is the same. We want the whole person, your emotions, your passions, your intellect, your cognitive ability to come in and your awareness of the need for forgiveness and for apology and for um, ex- exercising your right to speak. And that may not be 
in the way that I think, right? So we may have disagreements, and that's okay not to fear that. So I think in those ways, Brian, it's the same. What a great point Cheryl made about bringing your whole self, not just your title, to work. It makes all the difference. The workforce is changing for better supporting employees to making sure everyone feels safe and included. I'm excited to see where we go from here in the future. If you want to hear the full episodes, they're available on our website or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this podcast, you can help us grow by visiting our feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. Well, that's it for us. I'm Barry Ross, and that was another episode of The Big Rethink. A quick note from our sponsor, Intel. Intel vPro continues to raise the bar with enterprise-grade performance, security, manageability, and reliability features for enterprise and managed business of all sizes. It's simple. Intel vPro is built for all businesses.